0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Each week, we explore a biblical passage or topic offering insight and application and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have interactive questions for each podcast for individual reflection or for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. This week, we will continue and conclude our series where we are asking some key existential questions and looking at the answers through the lens of our identity and position in Christ. As we have seen, our position in Christ speaks of the vital union every believer has with the Lord, and it is the basis from which our Christian lives flow out of. But to what end? What lies ahead for the believer after this life? And will our position in Christ or our identity in Him still stand? Previously, we asked and suggested answers for the questions, Who am I? and Why am I here? Looking at them through the lens of our identity in Christ. And now we shall seek to do the same for the question, Where am I going? And how does my position in Christ affect my thinking in regards to the answer? As Christians, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, We heard the gospel of how Jesus chose to die for our sins and how he was resurrected by God, and he now offers eternal life to anyone who puts their faith in him. In believing this, we've become united to him. We have been even sealed by the Holy Spirit for a future day of redemption. And we're given life, we're given a new identity through this new birth, and day by day we're to walk in light of this position and this identity in Christ. And so we're to walk as sons and daughters, we saw, with full privileges related to that kind of relationship. And we abide in him, which speaks of our personal relationship again and union that we have with him, which is from God. And then God produces through us fruit, that which in turn glorifies him. And we also become ambassadors, representing him on this earth, here and now, imploring others to also be reconciled to God, since he's not holding their sins against them. Now, all this activity is done in the backdrop of something that is coming, a conclusion, a final act in the drama. Knowing who we are is designed to have a tremendous positive impact upon us as we head toward that end. So, how does knowing our position in Christ help answer, where am I going? Let me share in this episode three things. First, let's understand how our status and position will enhance our understanding of the security of our salvation. And to see this, we would want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I do hope you can read along as we go through these verses. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 3 through 5, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ You see in verse 3, it says, God the Father, blessed be God the Father. He's to be praised. He's to be exalted. And notice the emphasis on God the Father, a fatherly, uh, the spotlight is on his, uh, as as God the Father, the Father of even Jesus, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, God the Father be praised, exalted. These are words of excitement, of passion. And there's a reason for this. Why is there this excitement and passion? Well, we see two things mentioned. There is something that God the Father is, and there is something about him. First, what is, is he has abundant mercy. He's the father of abundant mercy. Mercy speaks of compassion, being moved to help someone in a time of need when there's an obvious issue. And mercy then sees affliction and sees a problem and doesn't just acknowledge it, but must move toward it to help solve it. And God has abundant mercy, abundant compassion as he moves toward the pain. Think of all the pain in this world, all the suffering and injustices and brokenness. And here God has moved toward it. He came incarnate into this earth. He came and lived amongst us, amongst all this dread and uh, sin and brokenness. And, And then he died on a cross. Making a judicial payment for the sins of the world and absorbing God's justice. Think of the the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis and how that's so impacted our society in the past week and the righteous outcry and the angry protests at this injustice. And know that God sees that and hears that and he moves toward that. But he also sees a terrified, lonely, abandoned man in a jail cell, guilty of killing George Floyd. And God has mercy there too. On the guilty sinner whom everyone else is running away from and condemning, God is moving toward with an offer of hope and salvation. And it's true for all of us, just as he does with every sinner, including ourselves. And so this God is a God of mercy, abundant mercy. And notice we're to praise and exalt him because also something he's done, he has made us begotten again or born us again, which means he's given us new life. And life, that is the life that gives us a living hope, a confident expectation which is related then to the, this is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it causes us to see our resurrection in view. Confident expectation, looking forward to glorification when we are forever with him. Well, verse four in our text now turns our attention to a result of our being born again. We are born again to a living hope. And we are also born to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven. You see, birth means life, life means family, family means an inheritance. It's all connected to what? Our status, our position as a child in the family, which only comes by birth. The inheritance is described. Notice it's very permanent. Nothing there sounds temporary. And it is actively being reserved for us in heaven. So we have a seat at the family table of God waiting for us. And then verse 5 says about us who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, when it becomes real, the glorification. So as we anticipate the glorification in the meantime, we are kept by the power of God through faith, which is ready to, the salvation ready to be revealed. Our inheritance and, and such, it's all being kept by the power of God. Do you know of any other power that can defeat the power of God? No, that sounds pretty secure. That's a risk-free, guaranteed future there. And we are kept through faith, meaning all of this was appropriated by faith. Think of it like an entry portal. Now, I know some like to read this and say, aha, see, you, 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 it's by grace and such, and it's not by works, but you have to keep believing. You have to keep having faith. Otherwise, you will lose this. It's like you have something and you let it go. You give it back. And if you can't do that, because if you do that, um, then, you know, you let it go. And so you can't say it's eternally secure. Well, the answer for that is in that word, is in, you know, the idea there of faith. In verse 5, notice it's a noun. It's not a verb. It's not prescribing action. It's actually part of a prepositional phrase, through faith, that's describing Kept. And it's called a preposition of agency, being technical or instrumentality, but simply put, it means that that it is that which makes something happen. Putting your faith in jesus' death and resurrection is the again the entry portal point for your salvation from which then you were born again and now have a permanent inheritance that's reserved, and you are kept actively by the power of God so to just to realize then that that's what, what triggered all of this. God is the, what he's performing. Now, an illustration if you, let's say, if you could lose your salvation, let's say if you were unfaithful, if you quit believing, you gave it back, then who becomes your greatest threat? Well, obviously, you do, because you're the one who can toss it aside or blow it in some way, give it back. So it's if we're then saying if that's the case if that was true then God is saying that he you know that 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 we have to hang on to it then we're saying that God is saying he's personally guarding your salvation except against w- what is your greatest potential threat. He's great power of God guarding and protecting you except in the one area that's the greatest most likely problem. And then we've painted this caricature of God, where he's the doctor who heals unless you are sick. He's the lifeguard who will rescue unless you are drowning. He's the fire department that's waiting to come unless your house is burning. You see, that's a terrible caricature. That's not the God that we see and describe and has revealed himself in scriptures. Now imagine you're holding a pencil or some object in your hand, and think of that object as your inheritance and your salvation. And it's in your left hand, the left hand represents you. And if it's in your left hand, and it's you, um, then that would be compared to if it was in the, your right hand, and the right hand would be God's hand. So the object is either being held by you, or it's being held by God. And if it's in your hands, yes, you could let it go. Yes, there could be this abandonment and you would have then no security and you would just have to uh, uh, plod through life and do your best and try to keep 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 it up and, uh, you know, good luck. But if it's in God's hand, if its object is in the right hand, then it's totally secure and guaranteed because he says, I'm never letting go and you're never jumping out and you can have. A rest that comes with that and a security. You see, it's like putting on a pair of glasses again that impact everything. If you have the left hand pair of glasses, you, you, you're, you're, you've always got to perform and do and, and hope you're making it. But if you have the right hand glasses, it's settled and you know it. And how that can motivate you now, what a difference. And it's all because you know who you are and you know by birth. You're in the family of God, and he's your father, and you have this amazing position. Well, a second reason, where am I going, how that can be answered through the lens of our position in Christ, uh, that understanding is that we can have a a great eagerness and excitement in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. As you know, we live in the church age, as we call it, and believers are part of a universal body, the church of those members who are saved and in Christ, and we're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're anticipating that wedding day, and as believers, we are to have a favorable anticipation to this event where we will be physically united with Jesus Christ, will be glorified, and then uh, that'll match and go along with our already being spiritually united. Now, however, though, sometimes we don't always have such an eager anticipation of his coming for us because we maybe have been struggling in our faith or have been defeated by some sin in our life, or maybe just see ourselves as generally inconsistent or maybe a little hypocritical at times, or in various ways we whatever it is we you know we're not necessarily anticipating his coming like we we know we could be, and it may be even that thought brings more anxiety than it does joy. You see, we tend to put pressure on ourselves to like get with it and get your act together and then come Lord Jesus. Yes, come, but not quite just yet. I need a little more time to pull myself together. Now, you may not think along these lines. Not everyone does, I hope, but I do know that many of you do. And being reminded here now of your position and identity in him is the remedy. So for this point, we want to go to our passage in Colossians chapter 1. And we will start in verse 19. And Colossians chapter 1, if you read along, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Christ all fullness should dwell. And so by him, God's going to reconcile all things to himself by Jesus, whether things on earth, things in heaven, having been made peace through the blood of his cross. And then you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. And we'll just pause there for a minute and we'll keep going in a minute. But notice the pastor starts out explaining how we are all once alienated from God and we were then reconciled. Through the death of Christ, God reconciled us, made peace, brought us to a position of of, of friendship, and then God will present us as these uh, pronouns, you, are all plural. And so we were once alienated as a group. We will now be collectively presented, and God, it pleases God to present the church, us collectively, the bride, to Jesus. And this is obviously related to our position as the Bride of Christ. Technical note, the pronouns there, some could see this as God presenting the church to Jesus, or others could see it as Jesus presenting to himself the church, but it's the the same general idea. Now, again, these pronouns are plural. It applies to the church, the bride, collectively, not specifically as individuals in that passage. Seriously, think about it. Can you individually in your condition and walk ever in your Christian life, be considered holy, blameless, and above reproach in entirety. No, never before God. We're not perfect. We will never be perfect. Progressing? Yes. Hopefully sanctified progressively? Yes. But this is a passage of having arrived of of perfect status, and it's plural. It's applied to the church. It pleases the Father then to present us, the church, the bride, to the groom on the wedding day. You know, uh, ancient Near East, they had wedding customs that had the groom meeting the bride. You know, they would have a bridal procession and things, and they meet, and then they would actually privately go somewhere and consummate the marriage while the rest of the guests would continue to feast and celebrate. And then a little later, the couple would emerge from the chambers and it'd all be happy because then she would be seen and designated and recognized as a worthy bride pure, and acceptable. And that's the purpose of the reconciliation here. It pleases the Father to present the bride as a glorified, acceptable, holy bride to the groom. In fact, Ephesians is a parallel book uh, written uh, very similarly, a lot of uh, kind of a parallel book with Colossians. And notice how Ephesians 5 presents something very similar here in Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 27. Here, in talking about, the, well, we'll just say, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Why? That he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And so the church will be presented holy and without blemish, which is some of the same words we see in Colossians chapter one. So in Ephesians five, we see love as the motive behind the action as Jesus gave his life for the church. We also see Jesus then sanctifying and cleansing the bride through the sacrifice sacrifice and through his word. And we see the bride being presented as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. And so we see um, Jesus Christ giving his life for the church, and then we see him uh, sanctifying and cleansing her, but we see her ultimate presentation glorified, holy, without blemish. So that's the same idea then as as we'll see in Colossians 1. We're looking at verse 22, the glorified, ultimate presentation here. And we can see this ultimate presentation and be glad for that if, verse 23, the if clause. As we see then, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the if clause, and it's if it's a a condition that's assumed to true, there's there's a good um, assuming that they will continue to do this as the church collectively, plural, continues grounded steadfast in the faith, but notice not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which we could relate to the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ and his glorified return, and that we will be with him. The hope of the gospel is eternal life with Christ in our glorified state. And don't be moved away from these awesome truths of your coming wedding day and the glorification where you will be united with him both physically and spiritually at that time. And so notice Paul goes on to say then in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions for Christ for this, for the sake of his body, which is the church, for you, plural, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, the church, to fulfill the word of God. And his preaching and his teaching is about the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, and we know that that's the church." But now this church, church truth has been revealed to his saints, to them, the church, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that hope of glory is related to positional truth, Christ in you in your relationship and your status as bride. The church is the bride. And so we see in verse 28 then that now Paul says, him we preach, warning now individually, every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect. That word means maturing, matured in Christ. And that's the idea of the sanctifying of Christ and the washing of the word of Christ so that also then he can present the church as a perfect and blameless holy state, which it is, and it will happen. Um, and individually, we are progressing toward that. So we see then that we will be as the glorified bride presented to Christ on the wedding day, on the day of his return. And we can look forward to that because collectively, the bride is, is going to be the accepted and the holy and blameless bride. Paul and his ministry is committed to communicating this mystery truth of the church and the bride and our position and our union with him. And individually, we're to listen as individuals now and in our Christian lives be matured by the hearing of the word and, and walking by faith. So the primary emphasis of, of this reconciliation and of this whole passage in verse 22 is, is, a, um, is collective. The church will be presented the wedding groom, the "It pleases God to present to Christ, who's the groom, this beautiful bride." A secondary emphasis is as individuals, we continue in the faith, as Paul is teaching and exhorting us. And that's the mode of those. Collectively, the church is a guaranteed thing. We will be presented. Sometimes we might say, well, wow, that seems to take away the motive. I mean, I think our, we should have a lot of, we, we're doing, the reconciliation is that we do things and we're busy and we're doing and we're even earning rewards as we think of that doctrine. But is is that more motive than personally being than personally relating to the perfect groom who loves you and you being the bride connected forever in a both physical and spiritual way? That's the ultimate motive and encouragement there. As for the conditional statement in Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue by faith, etc., not being moved from the glory, the hope of the glory, couple that with the absolute reality of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, which says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's God. That's a a positional, wonderful statement of Ephesians 1.4. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We have, the reality is for us to continue to believe this and recognize this value of who we are and our position in Christ and walk in light of it collectively as a church, individually, as Paul teaches every man. So, understanding our position and identity in Christ is hugely significant as we think of the question, Where am I going? As a child, we have guaranteed and protected salvation and inheritance, we saw, waiting for us. And as now the bride of Christ, collectively as a church, we have a joyous wedding day where we will be in as a fact, presented as the glorified bride uh, and holy and blameless, and we're to be greatly looking forward to that joyous day. And our final point will speak of the actualized relationship, our thinking in terms of glorification. Uh, where you are going is the place of the, where there's the physical presence of the Lord because of your status and your position. Uh, the church, believers, will reside in the New Jerusalem in the future where we will maintain that distant distinction as the bride in the church for eternity and we're seated together with him there now Ephesians 2 but we'll be an uh, in, in actualized way in eternity future Now, I'd like to finish with John chapter 14, verses two and three, to see this. And this is where Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room discourse. And he's told them he's going to be leaving and they're troubled. And he wants their heart not to be troubled. And he says in verse two, and my father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus says. And if I go and prepare a place for you, Well, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So what what do we see here is two things Jesus wants to comfort us with. He says that in the Father's house, he is going to, right now, to prepare a place in the Father's house for you. And this is now for the disciples. This is individual, for the believer, the regenerate. Jesus is for us who are in Christ, in particular, this relationship with him, and we're in this union with him. He's going to prepare a place in the Father's house right now, personally prepared for you. And he says, I will come and I will receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. So he's going to receive us to him. And again, this is personal. So he's preparing a place in the father's house. We will reside in the father's house with him, and we will be with him. This is, has a lot of marriage, uh, Mideast marriage custom uh, overtones as well. And so this this alludes to being a bride, but you could also just say as a, as a child or a member of the household, either one, it's our position and our status that makes this exciting. Because what will heaven be like daily? I mean, we might think it this way sometimes, you know, like we have some task to do, and, and then we all have different places where we abide. Sometimes we joke, you know, I'll be in a tar paper shack, and you might have a nicer bungalow and things like that. But we don't see any distinctions in John chapter 14 anyway. Jesus is coming for you, all of them, no distinctions, other than that they are in that category, and they will all abide with him forever in his house. So just think to be abiding. Again, that's this relational, this resting, this enjoyment status. You know, like the bride in the home now of their new home, abiding with her new husband and together united. they as friends and companions, and they function in various ways. And the bride does this joyfully as she functions as a bride, not out of duty, but out of love or think of a son coming home maybe thinking of the child status just has been away for a while but now he's back home he's home he's enjoying this home uh, waking up having coffee in the morning reading the paper talking to a sibling or or to a parent or to the father there or takes a shower goes about some task at the house that he's to do and then visits a friend maybe on some you know and has some fellowship and has a great lunch with another sibling and has good conversation and in the afternoon goes out for a a detail that he's to, to take care of or do and function and then returns and sits on the porch with tea talks to dad over some issues they have a great family dinner as a family maybe they play a game after they're laughing they pray together whatever you know you see it all there maybe he's reading and then he falls asleep there's a day in the father's house the day was mixed with activities all related um uh, uh to to learning or even just being more and more involved with the relationship and presence of the father so we will be with him. We will be in his house, invited, proper, looking forward to it. Why? Because of our status, our position. We're a child of God. We're the bride of Christ. We have an inheritance. We have a seat at the table, and we have a home waiting. And so our position in Christ and understanding that, again, can cause us to see the security of that and to look with anticipation and joy for that. So we will be at home as the bride or the son or the daughter, because we belong and we're wanted. And there's eternal love and harmony in that place. And and we can see it more clearly, this future, through the lens of our position in Christ. And we can, with, with, with high and positive anticipation, be looking for the glorious appearing of him. Shall we pray? Father, we... We thank you that we can know for sure who we are. As your word and our position in you just spills it all out. We're we're a child of you. We're the bride of Christ. These are different metaphors that you're teaching us through. But we're loved. And and we can even know why we're here in light of that amazing status of being in Christ and having union with him. We know that we have the privilege to abide in him and to abide in you daily and to allow you to work in us and through us and even for your purposes and your glory. Thank you that you can produce fruit through us and we can even know where we're going in the future with an eye on the eternal destiny we look forward to, knowing we'll reside with you as a child or as the bride, we'll have an inheritance and we have a place personally prepared for us. What a status, what a wealth, what a wonder teach us to know it and to believe it and walk in it. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A reminder, we do have interactive questions for this podcast. Um, Just email us at coolhandgrace and feel free to send us feedback as well. And until next time, remember, where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.